scripture lesson is from Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. He starts off uh, with words of his own. Uh, Paul is addressing the Philippians saying, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, and then he goes on, and the rest of this is actually a hymn that Paul borrows from the earliest church. This is this hymn, it's called the Philippian hymn, referred to as the Philippian hymn, is considered perhaps the oldest fragment in the New Testament, uh, other than uh, quotes from um, the Hebrew scriptures, of course, there are a lot of those in the New Testament, but of the original uh, theology and hymn, uh, hymns of the very earliest Christians, this is it. So this is the earliest picture that we have of the theology of the early church. Now, this is even before they called themselves Christians. They uh, were called people of the way. Uh, They worshiped in the synagogues. They worshiped Jesus, of course, as the, uh, not only the son of God, but the uh, Messiah of the Jews. And um, so here we have a, a, a snapshot of the earliest church's theology. Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> now, the, the title of this sermon, I don't know if it's, uh, I'll just tell you, the title of the sermon this morning is Humility, not humiliation. And I got the title actually um, from uh, an article about the first verse of our scripture lesson. Uh, It's actually about the whole of the Philippian hymn, but it it, it really focuses on that first verse. Uh, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. And it pointed some, this was in Christian Century, I read it about two weeks ago, and, it, and it, um, it, this is one of my favorite passages. It's one of the most important passages in the New Testament, and I've preached on it many times, but I never knew what she points out, and I'm going to go back to that in a few minutes, so hold on. Hopefully, we're all going to learn a little something new about this passage, but I want to, first of all, look at the hymn itself uh, and, and, and just review it. Uh, and uh, talk about what, um, what it means and what it meant to the theology of the early church. It says, though, um, though Jesus was in the form of God, in the form of God, he was the very essence of God, the very form of God, the very essence of God, did not, as, as, of course, the Son of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, uh, the fancy schmancy word for that is kenosis, 
the self-emptying of God in Jesus, self-emptying of God himself, uh, kenosis, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, being born in human likeness. This is a, the, the earliest expression of the incarnation of, of God who is with us, of word, essence of God, made flesh and dwelling among us. The incarnation, very important to the early church theology. God who is actually with us in Jesus. Self-emptied, self-emptied of transcendence, self-emptied of uh, otherness, self-emptied of distance, self-emptied of all powerfulness, is humbled, comes to us in humility in the flesh, born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, uh, he humbled himself and became obedient to, unto death. Another expression of incarnation. And it's real important that we understand this obedience to, uh, <clears throat> to be an obedience uh, to the mission of Jesus, uh, to, to the incarnation, being flesh, being one of us, even unto death, but also uh, the mission of Jesus, which was to embody and proclaim the realm of God or the kingdom of God, you see. Now, there's theology that has become somewhat popular in the Christian church since the 19th century. Uh, and, 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 and one can certainly see why it's become popular because there, there are notions of it in the New Testament. But uh, an atonement theology of um, this obedience being an obedience to some kind of almost sadomasochistic uh, drama of, well, God has to be appeased, therefore uh, God's son Jesus has to come and die uh, so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And you hear some of that in a lot of contemporary church music too. Uh, and it's, it's not the best of theology of the cross. One of the images, to be sure, in the New Testament of the cross is about the blood of the lamb or equating Jesus as the lamb who, uh, like the lamb of the day of atonement, who is killed in the blood of the lamb uh, is uh, for the ritual uh, cleansing of, uh, of the sin, the forgiveness of the sins of Israel. Uh, but you see, God's always been a forgiving God. It didn't take the cross for God to be forgiving. God was always forgiving. Atonement happened before the cross. You know, and some of this theology makes it sound like Old Testament never, never existed, that the Day of Atonement never existed, that God is a forgiving God never existed until the cross. And, and that's just bad theology. And I think we, you know, uh, I can understand, you know, how some of that atonement theology has, came to be, has come to be. But it's, um, uh, if we don't understand that it is actually God in the person of Jesus, the incarnation, who comes and is obedient to that realm of God, that way of God, that kingdom of God, which is completely opposite of the kingdom of Caesar, the kingdom of Rome. You see, kingdom of Rome, Caesar is, uh, is about empire. It's about uh, 
military strength. It's about opulence. Uh, whereas the realm of God is about humility. It's about sharing. Uh, it's about reconciliation. It's about peace. It's about love. All the opposite of th that kingdom of Caesar. And so obedience to that realm, that kingdom, is going to get Jesus nailed. Uh, and that's pretty obvious. And, and, and that's one of the great expressions of the incarnation is that Jesus dies, which every human dies, of course, but he dies on the cross, which thousands of others died on a cross uh, at the hands of the Romans, the very presence of uh, the way of, of sin and death and evil in the world at that time. All right, so Jesus is obedient to the incarnation and the way of the realm of God, which gets him nailed on a cross. And therefore, because of all of that, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend on heaven, on earth, uh, and under the earth. Uh, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is exalted. He is Lord. And at the end of time, at the end of the age, all, all nations will come together. It's a very universalistic passage that, that God is here for all nations, not just Israel, bringing everyone together as one. And all will recognize this way of, that Jesus has, has proclaimed and embodied is the way to eternal life. And that every knee shall bow and recognize him as Lord. All will be brought together as one. So that's summing up the uh, Philippian hymn. But let's go back to that passage where Paul is introducing the hymn, introducing that theology of the early church. And um, Liz Coolidge Jenkins in her article on this passage um, points out that there's, there's actually a word missing in most of our translations, including this translation. It's the Greek word for also. Now let me read it the, the way most translations have it. It's, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Kind of like denying yourself and looking at the interests of others. She says, if you insert the also where it's supposed to go, it reads like this. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do you see the little fine difference there? She points out that it's, it's saying here that, you know, we look after our own interests, but also the interests of others. So, it, you know, humility for sure, but not self humiliation, you know, not putting ourselves down. In other words, look after yourself, but also others. And let me just read a little bit of what she says. It's a really great article. And I, I, you know, I never knew this about that line. And so it gives a little different perspective. She says, Paul calls for balance, uh, each one looking to others' needs while also uh, not ignoring their own. Maybe this is what self-emptying looks like. Not that we make ourselves nothing, as some English versions translate verse 7, but that we empty ourselves both of arrogance and self-belittlement. This is what Paul wants. A community where everyone's interests are looked to and everyone's needs are taken care of, where everyone offers what 
they have to offer freely and, sh and shares resources with one another. And she points to the early church and Acts and how they all shared everything that they had with one another. Narcissism is what Paul wants to root out in the church of Philippi when he urges people of faith to follow Christ's example of humility. The goal is mutual give and take, healthy reciprocity, freely offered generosity, ongoing connectedness, you see. Uh, humility, but not humiliation. I, you know, I, I think this applies to what we've been experiencing this week. And I, that, that prayer this morning was beautiful, a beautiful prayer of peace, perfect just for what we're all um, thinking about this week with uh, the war uh, in Israel and Gaza. Um, and for that crisis, any crisis, but for that crisis to ever be resolved, for the situation over there, the, the conflict over there that's been going on for years, for it ever to be resolved, there has to be some humility, but certainly not humiliation. Israel always points out whenever they're attacked, you know, um, those who would uh, drive us to the sea to drive us out of the land, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to do that. We're, we will say no, we will defend ourselves. And certainly, certainly, but uh, for Israel ever to have peace, ever to coexist, to come together as one, um, if that could ever happen, um, with the people of Gaza or the people of um, the West Bank, uh, there's going to have to be some humility. And I think that's true of any of our international uh, relations. Um, there's a story in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis that I think speaks to this. Uh, Jacob, father of Israel, father of the Jews, his twin brother Esau, born before him, just before him, Esau is uh, the traditional, one of the traditional fathers of uh, the Arabs and of the, the Palestinians. Uh, he married into the family of, of Ishmael, who's normally uh, thought of as the father of Arabs, but he is part of that lineage of, uh, and the, <clears throat> the Arabs do look at Esau as part of their lineage. So father of Jews, father of Arabs, Twin brothers. Uh, now, Esau likes to hunt and fish and, you know, likes guy kind of stuff, you know. And so he's close to daddy. Daddy Isaac is the, um, the, the um, father of the boys and, and uh, is the son of Abraham. So he, you know, the, the promise of Abraham has, has gone to Isaac and he'll pass it on to presumably Esau. And uh, he, he really likes Esau uh, Jacob is kind of a mama's boy. He likes to cook, cook souffles in the kitchen with mama. And uh, actually, it's probably it's red lentils, I think, is what he cooks. But uh, uh, anyway, you know, he's the favorite of Rebecca's. And um, we're going to find out later that there's another side to Jacob, too. He, he can be pretty tough, tough guy. But um, anyway, so Jacob and, and his mama, Rebecca, decide they're, they're going to steal the birthright from Esau. And uh, make a long story short, they uh, end up tricking uh, a dying, blind old man, Isaac, into giving his birthright over to 
um, Jacob rather than Esau. He thinks he's doing it to Esau, but he's doing it to Jacob. And anyway, Jacob, I mean, Esau finds out about it. He wants to kill his brother. He's really angry. Uh, Jacob escapes to the land of Laban, his, um, his uncle. And Laban ends up treating him kind of the way that um, he treated uh, his brother Esau. He tricks him into staying 14 years as an indentured servant, basically, until he, you know, um, he wants to marry um, uh, one of Laban's daughters. After seven years, Laban lets him marry a different daughter, and then he has to wait another seven years to marry the daughter he wants to marry. Anyway, 14 years go by. He's accumulated a lot of wealth, and it's time. It's time after 14 years to be reconciled to his brother, Esau. And so he goes to be reconciled with Esau, and he, uh, he's accumulated a lot of wealth, and he, and he sends a good bit of that wealth ahead of him as a peace offering to Esau before he's to be reconciled with him. And you kind of get the feeling that he may also be showing off a little bit. You know, look how much I've accumulated in 14 years. Well, that night, before he's to be reconciled to his brother, Jacob is visited by an angel, and the angel wrestles with him. They wrestle all night, and, and Jacob prevails. He's, he's a really good, he's the Hulk Hogan of his day. You know, this mama's boy who likes to cook in the, with his mama in the kitchen can wrestle. He's a tough guy. It turns out this is not just an angel. This is the very presence of God, he finds out later. Uh, <clears throat> and he's prevailing. By the way, my wife was in trigonometry class with Hulk Hogan uh, over at uh, Robinson High School. She graduated with Hulk Hogan. Anyway, so uh, Jacob's tough, just like Hulk Hogan. And he's prevailing against God. And he's got him in, a, I don't know, maybe a headlock. I'm not sure what hold he's got. But he's, he's making um, the angel bless him. He said, bless me. Now, the angel, who is the very presence of God, it turns out, has hit him in the sinew of the thigh because God, and it is the presence of God, God always has the last word, hits him in the sinew of the thigh, but then blesses him and says, you're, you have prevailed against God and human beings and your, uh, your name shall be Israel. You'll be a father to a nation. And then the next morning when he awoke, he realized that it had been no dream at all for he could not walk straight. He'd been hit in the sinew of the thigh, God always having that last word, and he's stooped over as he goes to be reconciled to his brother. Sometimes you have to stoop a little to be reconciled to your brother and your sister. With Israel and Gaza and the West Bank, the Palestinians, there's going to have to be some humility on both sides, if there's ever to be peace. Not humiliation, mind you. Not humiliation of the Jews, not humiliation of, of the Palestinians. We need humility uh, if we're ever going to have peace in the world. This also, all this theme of humility, not humiliation, also speaks to our church life. Um, when I was district superintendent, I saw some churches that were just torn apart by people who lacked humility, by folks who wanted their own way no matter what. Uh, just would tear churches apart, the arrogance of people, you know. Last church I served over in Oviedo, Florida, 
we had a guy in the church who um, was quite outspoken on issues, and he was a leader in the church, very well respected. Um, you know, he was certainly not one you'd ever think of as being allowing himself to be humiliated. He was not a person to be humiliated. He was a strong leader. Um, but he was humble. Uh, we were going to build a building, and uh, th that, that area was just exploding with growth, um, still is. And um, we had a real small sanctuary. I think it's it, uh, seated 200, I think. And, you know, we, we just couldn't fit everybody in. We had five services going on. And um, so we we're going to build a new building. It was going to cost $3.5 million. And he spoke against that and said, you know, we could do this cheaper, save money for missions. And, and he had a good plan in mind that he presented. Uh, but everybody's really excited about the, the, um, that new building that they were going to have and, and we ended up having. And um, he was voted down. He ended up giving more. He and his wife ended up giving more towards that building than uh, just about anybody in the church. They weren't a wealthy family, yet they gave more to that building that they had opposed than some of the wealthier members of the church. And um, they held house meetings in their in their house to help raise money uh, for the church. He, he often said, I'm not always going to get my way around here, you know, but this is my church and I go along with what everybody decides. Uh, you know, we just need more of that kind of humility in a church. Humility, not humiliation. Individual lives. There's not a whole lot in life that I like more than being right. I love being right. You could ask my wife, she'll tell you. She'd be glad to tell you how much I love being right. But, you know, to insist on being right all the time can be so very wrong in relationships, in family relationships and friendships. Sometimes we have to give in. Sometimes we have to compromise. Sometimes it's just wrong to insist on being right. And so it is. International relations, uh, church relations, family, friendships, individual relations. Humility, not humiliation, is the key. The way of Jesus, the mind of Jesus, the self-emptying, uh, servanthood. Humility, but not not humiliation. It's the way of love. It is the way of community. It's the way of healing, of salvation for the world. Let us pray. Lord, we're so very thankful for these words of Paul and, uh, and, that, and of the early church, this hymn. Lord, we're so thankful for knowing the mind of Jesus, for knowing the way of humility and love. Lord, we pray that uh, we, may be, we may embody that, that we may be the presence of Jesus in our families, in our friendships, in our church, and in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.